0: Well, good morning. good morning. My name is Dennis. I am the executive pastor of this church. And as you know, Pastor Bruno is in Pennsylvania speaking at a men's retreat. Uh should be coming home this afternoon. Please keep him uh, in prayer. And he's asked me to um, fill in for him this Sunday and also to continue uh, in his series Worship Holy Ambition. So I'm going to start this message with a question. Don't answer it out loud, but think about it for a moment. Why are you you here? Why are you in this service this morning? I mean, why did you get up early on a rainy Sunday morning, maybe the only day of the week you can sleep in, get dressed, and come to church? Perhaps you're here out of habit. You've been coming here for years. It's just something you've always done. Maybe you're here because you feel pressured to be here. I hope not. You know, Pastor Tony Evans once said that he had a drug problem. He was drugged to church every Sunday morning and drugged to church every Sunday evening. And I pray that you do not have that type of drug problem. Well, I pray you have no drug problems, all right? But maybe your spouse or your uh, parent... Has compelled you to come to church either by force, guilt, or threat, or maybe you're here because you just love the fellowship. I mean, this is your church. You come here every Sunday. Uh, you're with the people. You love the people. It's, it's your way of just connecting with the folks here at Grace. Or maybe you're here because you're hurting. It's been a rough week. Things have not gone well either at home or at work, and you're here just looking for maybe a word of hope. Regardless, I'm glad you're here. I am absolutely thrilled and happy that you are here. And let me say this. Church should be a part of your weekly routine. So I am glad that you are here. And I applaud parents who bring their children to church. I... I. I, those who are looking for fellowship, I hope you find rich fellowship. Because you know what? We need to love one another. As people, we need to love each other. And Let me tell you something. We at Grace Church, we know how to love well in each other. And if you're hurting, I hope you will hear a word of hope. And I hope somehow that we can minister to you before we walk Outside these doors this morning. But if you are a Christian and these are your primary reasons for being here this morning, then you're here for the wrong reason. You're here for the wrong reason. Because the primary reason for being here is to worship God, is to worship God. The psalmist ninety-five six seven says, Oh come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture, and the sheep of His hand. Today, if you hear His voice. That last part wasn't supposed to be there. I apologize. <laughs> You see, worship is more than just singing a few songs and listening to a sermon. See, we come to church to experience the presence of God. We we come to acknowledge his authority in our lives and to worship him as our creator. That's why we come to church Yet many people today in church believe we have what we call a, a worship problem. In a, in a Barna research, and Barna is the uh, organization that does uh, research uh, for churches, um, they found that among regular church-going adults, listen, one-third have said they've never experienced God's presence. And one half of church members claimed they had not experienced God in a worship service in the past year. And sadly, the surveys found that the younger the adult, the more likely they are to state that God is a distant and impersonal reality to them. Now folks, how is it possible that a God who desperately wants to love and to be loved by his creation seems to be on vacation? Or in some type of voluntary seclusion. Does God not want to be noticed? I don't think so. I think there are a number of reasons why people don't sense God's presence in their worship uh, service. But, more, but I think the primary reason is this. We don't really know what worship is. Or we don't, we don't have a clear understanding of what worship is really is. Now, I know there are some, when they think of worship, they think of a traditional brick building, singing some of the great hymns of the faith. Others think of a building and, and, and you know, singing praise choruses, you know, hands clapping, amens all over the place. It's all good. I mean, it's all good. These are ways to worship, but they're not worship in itself, so exactly what is worship? It's a great question. The English word means to ascribe the highest worth to. So when we are when we worship, we are saying, God, you're number one. You're first in my life. You're before anything and anything else in the world. That is what is meant when we say, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. We're saying nothing is more important than you, Lord. Nothing. When we worship, we take our we take our focus of everything else and place it solely upon God. Now the way of saying it is, worship is when we celebrate God. When we give him the honor, the glory, and most importantly, when we give of ourselves. You see, worship is not just a one-hour thing we do on Sunday morning. It's not. Worship is a way of life, or it needs to be a way of life. This morning, we're going to look at uh, Romans uh, chapter 12, 1 through 11. We're going through through those verses uh, very quickly. But before we do that, would you allow me to pray? Please bow with me. It's not easy, Lord not easy to speak to so many, and yet speak to each the word most needed. So Lord, I recognize that this pulpit is not mine, but yours, so may the voice and words be as well. Speak to me that I may speak for you. Be glorified. I just want to commit this service to you in Jesus' name, amen. I apologize in advance if I go to this water often. I've had a cold this week. My voice is a little dry, throat's a little dry. So we're going to be looking at uh, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 11. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that By testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body, we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in its exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, and the one who does active mercy With cheerfulness. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, but fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. I believe the worship we do on Sunday morning is a reflection of the other 167 hours in the week. We must understand that worship has to be a way of life. And the worship service has to be a reflection of what we've done during the past week. But I think in a way, over the years, Christians have corrupted the understanding of worship Again, we have kind of relegated it to an hour on Sunday or hour and 15 minutes on on Sunday morning. We tend to think that Christian worship involves singing hymns and songs, reading scripture, listening to a sermon, giving an offering, and celebrating the bread and cup. All good things, all things I enjoy. But this wasn't the original understanding of worship. For the, the Jews and the early Christians worshiped. Worship was what they did in their daily lives. Their work was an expression of worship, as was their family roles, their leisure activities, if they had any, their service to others, and their actions in the community. People worship six days a week, and they rested on the seventh. Celebrating the fact that, you know, God could take care of them They rested for a day. God had that ability. (laughs) By the way, notice that the Apostle Paul does not encourage his readers to attend worship services more often or, or give more financial support or serve on a committee or pray and study the Bible for a longer period of the day. No, Paul is calling his readers, listen, to respond to God's love and grace by their daily words and their daily actions. Work is transformed from a way to make money to a way to serve God. And when we serve God, we ultimately serve our community. Relationships are opportunities to celebrate God's love and grace together and to encourage each other in the faith. And serving is a way to share the blessings God has poured into our lives. And when we allow our lives to be lifted out of the mundane, we become living sacrifices. Romans 12.1, we become living sacrifices. See, Paul's words go far beyond the common understanding of what it means to be a Christian. Because Paul is writing about something more than a religion of convenience or, or comfort or, or, or a life without cost. Listen, followers of Jesus Christ are to be living sacrifices. That's our calling. And our offering is ourselves, our time, our talents, and treasures. And nothing is to be held back. Nothing. This is what Paul calls your spiritual worship. I think the next verse, too, is is just so key to this message and this passage of Scripture. And we'll look at this actually twice in this sermon. It says, do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Paul starts to unpack what it means to understand our whole selves and our whole lives as worship. And listen, the main thing he says here is this. You can't honor God. You can't worship God. And at the same time, walk in lockstep with what the world views as normal. For, because living for God is not normal. All right, Living with the intention of pleasing God on his terms isn't normal. Look at the culture today. My word, look at the culture. We are stretching definitions of of everything. We're stretching definitions of right living. We're redefining things like, like marriage to suit the spirit of the age. We're compromising God's standards of holiness. And sadly, that has become normal. And this is now what we expect from the world. But we're called not to waste our energies on such things. We're called not to conform any longer to this to the pattern of this world this is not easy it's not easy like most people I don't like um, I don't like uh, to be told what not to do I am a man under authority I like authority and I'm okay if someone tells me what to do And you know what? The Word of God just doesn't disappoint, right? Because Paul tells us that we are to be transformed by what? The renewal of our minds. And Paul goes on to say in 2 Corinthians 10, 3 and 5, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. And we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. And listen, and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Paul uses some pretty strong language here, doesn't he? Right? He uses a strong language to convey the seriousness of what it means to worship God with a transformed and a renewed mind. Saying, take every thought captive to obey Christ. Christ. And Jesus also said in John 14, 15, if you love me, you obey what I command. If you love me, you will obey what I command. Does that sound normal to you? Does that sound like the pattern of the world to you? I'm telling you, the gospel and their Christian life is not for the faith of heart. It's not easy. I love how Pastor Bruno started his worship series a couple weeks ago um, when he showed pictures of celebrities. Uh, and um, and I, I, it made a lot of sense. Uh, we live in a world that we, we love celebrities and, and we, we, we look up to celebrities. And sometimes we worship celebrities. But listen, listen, We are transformed by what we worship. We are transformed by what we worship. I love what John Piper writes. From your heroes, you pick up mannerisms and phrases and tones of voices and facial expressions and habits and demeanors and convictions and beliefs. The more admirable the hero is, the more intense your admiration is. The more profound will be your transformation. In the case of Jesus, he is infinitely admirable, and our admiration rises to the most absolute worship. Therefore, when we behold him as we should, the change is profound. But we live in a culture that will put our celebrities on a pedestal. And you know what? If they're famous, we admire them. It really doesn't even matter why they're famous. You know, it's, we got this up, we got this backwards. You know, it's funny, we can walk around with apparel of our favorite sports team, right? I mean, that's a third of my wardrobe, by the way, you know? And that's okay. We can wear a t-shirt from our, our, our favorite concert. But if we walk around the scripture verse or maybe the name of our church, some people feel funny. They look at us like, you know, kind of strange. They're uncomfortable around us. Yet it is Jesus who who Piper said is infinitely more admirable than any celebrity who's ever lived. And it's the only one who is worthy of our worship. This is not easy. But here's the good news. It is the Holy Spirit who moves within our lives to transform us into people who have the image of their creator in their lives. It is the Holy Spirit who transforms us by the renewal of our minds so that our values become those of our Lord and King. It's the Holy Spirit. We are transformed so that we love the unlovable and forgive the unforgivable. We are transformed when forgiven and free. We live We live to love and serve by loving others and serving others. This is worship. This is worship. Going back to verse 2 a little bit later, but we need to move on here. Verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. No surprise here, but humility is absolutely key to worship and to live in, in a good and healthy relationship with other people. Humility. Our relationships are important. Why? Because they're spiritual. They're sacred, right? And, and, and if we want strong and healthy friendships, we must practice Humility. Remember, to live and love like Jesus? You might recall this passage from Philippians uh, uh, chapter 2, 3, and 4. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in, in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Because we must work and live together because we are one in Christ starts with humility. Didn't Christ demonstrate that perfectly? For as in one body, we have many members. The members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually, members of one another. The pattern of this world tends to be that we are kind of like islands unto ourselves. Very much so in the United States, I believe, because there's always been a certain pride in this country and fierce individualism. But God wants us to be connected. And as Christians, we are connected in the most profoundly spiritual way imaginable. We're connected in Christ. We are connected in Christ. You see, we must be, listen, willing to be connected to one another. We must be willing to be friends. We must take initiative to make connections. Yes, as a church, we're responsible which is why, as a pastoral team, we are really going to enhance the small group slash life group ministry. Because that's where the one another's really occur. That's where people get connected. But we also, you also need to take initiative to make that happen. Because you know what? When we connect, we have unity. When we connect, we have unity. And by the way, God's call to each other is a call to Unity. Our unity in Christ is the kingdom life that reflects God's own nature as Trinity. Look, Jesus said in John 17, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. We're called to love. We're called to share. We are called to be God's community. One of the neatest things for me about being in God's community, and you know me pretty well, I I am a big life group guy. Um, I've been in small groups slash life groups for 25 years. The one another's really occur in life groups. I mean, if you really want to get to know uh, people, you need to be in a small group, and we are really going to enhance uh, this ministry here. Um, But one of the neat things about being in a small group Different gifts are there. We all have different gifts. And that's that's why we can minister so well to each other. Because I only have a gift or two. But, you know, when you bring everyone together, we have the gifts. And that's why life groups are so important. And Paul talks about that in the next three verses. He says, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith. If service in our serving the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. One of the biggest mistakes I made as a new Christian, and I was a new Christian at this church, okay, Um, and I think it's a mistake a lot of people still make today, is believing that I had nothing to offer, that I had nothing to give. When I first came to this church 25 years ago, I would look around and say, I can't sing the way they sing, I can't pray the way they pray, I can't preach the way they preach, I can't lead. I mean, I look and say, man, you guys have it all together. I can't do this. I have nothing to give. I have nothing to offer. I was actually intimidated to serve and for a doer like me, that was really, really frustrating. Thankfully, a young man at the time, Bill Holt, <laughs> invited me to a workday. This was 25 years ago. It was April, 1995. Invited me to a work day. I didn't know what a spiritual gift was at that point, but later on, my gift is serving. So I was able to use my gift during the workday, and there was joy, and I made connections. It was worship. I was using my gift, and it was a really, really cool thing. But over the years, of course, God has stretched me. All right, and giving me more confidence to minister in different ways. But for me, one of the most meaningful ministries I've ever had at this church was overseeing the Nehemiah ministry. I'm looking at Dave Lyons because we did this for years together. And for those of you who are not familiar with the Nehemiah ministry, so a group of men and women we would meet on Saturday and do yard work. And I loved it. I loved it. One, it was instant gratification. You know, you cut the grass. Wow, it looked good. And um, I'm not sure if he's here, but John Wilkinson, maybe 20 plus years ago, sent me a card thanking the Nehemiahs, saying, you know, Dennis, the card says something like this. As I was driving past the church one Saturday morning, I looked at our church and it really looked outstanding. Thank you for the ministry. And he made a comment like, I really want to worship here, you know, something to that effect. And that really, really touched me because I realized that we all have different gifts. But we need all the gifts. And they're all important. That's why I so appreciate, as Steve said, those who came out yesterday. But all the gifts are important. So standing here today in this worship center, I know there are present and future Sunday school teachers. There are present and future musicians, elders, deacons, stewards, ushers. The list goes on and on and on. But you know, we're all servants, one and all. And we express our worship to Jesus by serving one another. And when we serve one another, we serve the community. And when we serve the community, we're proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. Worship. But if this resonates with you, let go the lie that you have nothing to give. Let go the lie that you have nothing to offer. That is a lie. Embrace the truth that you are made and redeemed in part to serve, to give yourself to the body of Christ and to the mission of the church, which is what, which is to reach a needy world with the love of God and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let go of that lie. We need you. And when you use your gifts, it's worship. Nine says, let, your, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with a brotherly affection. Outdo one another and show in honor. Looking at these verses, there's no room for insincerity, no room for pretense. Paul is saying this this is what it means to live a lifestyle of love. There's a commitment to one another. There's a commitment to one another, like, like a brotherly or sisterly affection. But this can't happen unless we learn to love each other. This cannot happen unless we take initiative to get to know each other and to love each other. Also, listen, worshiping God entails embracing what he loves and turning for what he hates. Therefore, we do good and not evil, and we do not call what God calls evil good. Did you get that? All right. We must be bold in the face of worldly norms to stand for biblical truths. We need to stand firm, folks. But there's another but here. We do this in sincere love. We do this in sincere love to stand for biblical values, but we do this because there are people who think differently than us. But we do it in love. Always do it in love. We are always to love, even when some folks appear to be unlovable. And quite often, when we hear opposing views to our faith, it's easy to get angry. But you know what? We need to share in love. Truth, stand firm, but we share in love. One of the reasons, me, this is just me, I don't debate on Facebook or social media. I get angry when I read some of this stuff. And I just want to say, I'm going to give it to them. But once you put something out there, it's there. I want to reach people for Christ. I do not want to put a wedge between me and those people. Finally, do not be slothful in zeal, but fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. I actually like the NIV translation better. It says, never be lacking in zeal. Or I prefer, never be lacking in passion. I just love the word passion. Like I think passion is a necessary ingredient for worship, I think, ne- I think passion is a necessary ingredient for life. My dear brother, my mentor, Dr. Jerry Small, has given me a lot of great counsel and advice over the years. I think it was my third month on staff, and he, we were just talking, and he says, Dennis, I always prayed for passion in everything that I did. And That just changed how I looked at everything. Now, I'm not saying I do this all the time, but I do try to pray for passion. I want to be passionate when I serve. I want to be passionate as a believer in Jesus Christ. I love passion. You know what? A marriage without passion is a marriage in trouble. A musician without passion for music is... You know, I've never met a musician that didn't have passion for music. But, all right, bad example. But, you know, an artist without passion for art is no artist. And a Christian without passion for God is, well, you get my point, right? Passion. Passion. Folks, the scriptures we looked at this morning paints a picture of worship that I think we can just begin to see is larger than we had commonly imagined. But please, I want you to understand this. We are not off base when we think that what we do on Sunday morning is worship. This is worship. It is worship. However, we are off base if we think that what we do on Sunday is near enough worship or that it's the only time during the week we should worship. We're off base if we think that way. Look, I love what we do on Sunday morning. You've heard me say for years, it's my favorite time of the week. I love coming here. I love worshiping with the people I love the most, the people of Grace Church. I love what we do here. But what we do the rest of the week is critically important because a worshipful life is a life of love. It's a life submitted to God in love and obedience. And that is what it means to have a lifestyle of worship. We must have a lifestyle, not a Sunday morning worship only. Sounds great, huh? What's the application? How do we do this? I've said three or four times, this is really, really hard. And it is hard. It is hard. I think the key to this, again, lies in verse 2, where we read earlier, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. My friends, renewing your mind means to replace fallible worldly knowledge and logic with the infallible logic of God's truth, it means to read God's word. It means to study God's word. It means to meditate on God's word. Even memorize God's word. We must get back to the fountain of living waters and drink from it. We have to. If you go a few days without eating, you're going to be hungry and grouchy. If you go a few days without feasting on the word of God, well, your worship is going to suffer. It just is. It has to. Did you know that six times in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus said, have you not read? Have you not read? Have you not read? We need to understand and read the Bible. We cannot accomplish the things outlined in these 11 verses if we've not renewed our minds through the reading and meditating of his word. And I'm just going to say this, and please do not be offended, but if Sunday morning is the first time that you've opened your Bibles this week, and I'm glad that you're here, and I'm glad that you have, but if this is the first time you've opened your Bible, then you know what? Your worship may be suffering. It may be suffering. Two weeks ago, during Reach Week, um, I was serving at the Park and Ride. I shared that a couple weeks ago. And it brought back a lot of memories of when I would catch that bus at 4.45 a.m. And I did that for years. And one morning, I was just standing there looking at the commuters get on the bus. And I said to myself, man, I look just like them. Zombies. Zombies. They were tired. I mean, they were just staring aimlessly out into space. Okay? Um, I realized I lived that life. And I realized how hectic their lives are. And I realize how hectic your lives are because I lived that life for years. I would work 10 and a half hour days and commute three hours. And many of you are doing the same things. Plus we have family. We have to take care of our house, our yard. kids, there's soccer practice, baseball practice, dance recitals, this thing called ministry. How do you have a quiet time when life is so hectic? When I was working downtown, God impressed upon me something that was um, life-changing for me. You see, I would get on the bus every single morning with my gym bag in my right hand and my Bible in my left, and I had every intention of reading the Bible as we drove into work. Had like an hour and a half to drive in. Great time to read the Bible, right? Before the bus got out of the commuter lot, I was sound asleep pretty much every single morning. It's all right, I'll read on the way home. Well, have you ever taken a commuter bus? It is just too loud on the way home. Everyone's wide awake, I couldn't concentrate. But let me tell you what I did. I never, well, very rarely did I ever not work out during lunch. I made running a priority. And God just convicted me. He said, "You know what, Dennis? We all do what's important to us. And Dennis, you're making running more important than me." Well, I got it. But what do you do? I'm just tired in the morning. I really thought, you know, reading in the morning would be the right way to do it. I had to stop, pray. I just looked at my schedule. Just use a little common sense. Well, I would get to my office at 5.55 a.m., but my workday wouldn't start until 6.30. I had 35 minutes every morning to read and to pray. By that time, I've woken up twice, you know. I've walked through my office. I was wide awake. It was good, but I had to plan it. I had to plan it, okay? It, it, because how can... How can my body or our bodies be living sacrifices, folks, holy and pleasing to God if we're not renewing our minds on the things of God daily? God just made that perfectly clear to me. And I realized that worship must be a lifestyle. It needs to be second nature. We shouldn't wake up in the morning and decide whether or not we're going to read the Bible. We shouldn't wake up in the morning and decide whether or not we're going to love Jesus today. It needs to be second nature. So what's the answer? I mean, if we walk out of here saying, yeah, Dennis, I get it, you're right. Tomorrow I'm going to start reading. If you don't plan for it, it's not going to happen. It just isn't, all right? For most of us, it just isn't. So I'm going to close with this. For those of you who are struggling with a consistent Quiet time. I would like to challenge you for the next 30 days to read slash pray for 15 minutes a day. For those of you who have a consistent quiet time, would you take the next 30 days and pray for those who don't? Seriously. But listen, you need to go home, and you need to figure out how you're going to do this. You need to look at your schedule Maybe put it in your day timer or your calendar or your phone. Husbands, you may have to watch the children so your wife can have 15 minutes and vice versa. Something's going to have to change because you need to find 15 minutes. And you know what? You can find 15 minutes. You can. If you work hard. Hey, we all do what's important to us. Right? That may mean 15 minutes less sleeping or... or not watching a show. I, I don't know. But would you take that challenge? And if you take the challenge, would you just kind of email me or text me? I just want to know so I can pray for you. But I'd love to hear from you in 30 days to see how that has transformed you. Because I believe it will. I believe it will not only transform you, it will transform our worship here. I think it will. I think it'll be amazing. it's hard, it can be done. One more warning. Watch out, because it's going to be a good thing. Let's pray. Lord God, I recognize that we live in a very hectic world, a hectic culture we're busy with the demands of life but lord you've made it clear that we're to seek the kingdom of god and his and his righteousness first we're to put you first in our lives so father my prayer this morning is that you would give each of us a heart of worship help us to delight in you and may we continually express our praise to you through throughout each and every day lord may you be the center of everything we do. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus name we pray. Amen.